Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. Mail's here! Anything good? Let's see. Bill? Bill? Ooh, look, a check for $50,000. Wow, some people are just so nice. I know, I'm sure there isn't a catch or anything. What else do we have? Oh man, not already. What is it? Political ads. Man, already? I feel like we just finished an election, like yesterday. How can we already be on to the next one? Wow, let me see this one. Oh wow, that is... Quite the intense Miller. Right? I feel like the candidates lately have gone one of two directions. Either they've gotten much better in quality, or they have gone way, way off the deep end. Politics used to be fun and exciting. Now they're stressful and heated and toxic. I long for the good old days of politics when we could laugh and talk about issues (laughs) and people. Like the 90s politics. Those were the days had everything. Change, healthy debate, and an impeachment that didn't divide the country. I don't know if I'd call it the good old days, but it was a lot more tame than we have it now. That's so true. So, what do you want me to do with these mailers? I think they have the same validity as that $50,000 check, so you know what to do with it. Into the recycling it goes! Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today we are going to be discussing the hilarious musical, Clinton. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone. And welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Eleanor Roosevelt once said, A woman is like a teabag. You never know how strong she is until you put her in hot water. Well, she actually sang it in our show today. Clinton the Musical. The satirical musical could not have come at a more perfect time and had audiences rolling in the aisles as one of America's most famous couples most iconic years were put on display. But before we head to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, we have to start with our groundwork. Clinton, the musical, is a satirical musical with music and lyrics by Paul Hodge and book by Paul Hodge and Michael Hodge. The musical is based on the presidency of Bill Clinton. The musical is based on the premise that there are two sides to Bill Clinton. The mature and charismatic side, W.J., and the fun and reckless side, Billy, that are invisible to every other character except Hillary Clinton. 
Imagining the two personalities as distinct characters, the musical follows the two Bill Clintons and Hillary through the major events of Bill Clinton's presidency. Clinton the Musical premiered at the 2012 Edinburgh Festival Fringe in a one-act version where it was nominated for Best New Musical. The two-act version premiered at the King's Head Theatre in London in 2013. The show was then performed at the 2014 New York Musical Theatre Festival, where it sold out performances and received several extensions. There was an industry reading of the show in New York on November 6th and 7th of 2014. Now is the right time to introduce our design team. Music and lyrics by Paul Hodge, book by Paul and Michael Hodge, directed and choreographed by Dan Neches. Set design by Beowulf Borat, lighting design by Paul Miller, sound design by Peter Fitzgerald, and costume design by James Dobinson. The show arrived at New World Stages, where it would play from March 25th for just over 10 weeks until June 21st, 2015. The show would go on to be produced in Perth, Australia in 2016. So, let's head back to that golden era known as the 90s! Hillary Rodham Clinton introduces herself and her husband, William Jefferson Bill Clinton. She reveals that Bill is actually two personalities, WJ and Billy, and that she is the only person who can see both of them. With help from Hillary, WJ, and Billy win the 1992 presidential election. After arriving at the White House, WJ states his plans to be a serious and successful president, Hillary states her plan to be loved by um, the American people, and Billy states his plans to get some tail. In order to remain focused on his job, W.J. starts ignoring Billy's fun-loving urges. Just a few days after being inaugurated, the media starts reporting on the Whitewater scandal, despite the fact that nobody who is reporting has any idea what the scandal actually is and are just stretching the story out to gain views. Kenneth Starr is hired to investigate the scandal. Starr announces to the audience that he doesn't actually care about the American people or the Whitewater scandal. He's just in it for the fame. Hillary becomes increasingly worried that Billy will use his new office to cheat on her. As W.J. reassures Hillary that he'll control Billy, Billy seduces White House intern Monica Lewinsky in the Oval Office. In order to comfort Hillary, W.J. tells her that she can write the country's new health care plan. Republican Newt Gingrich is infuriated by this, and he works with Ken Starr to rally other Republicans and take control of the Congress majority. During an encounter with Billy in the Oval Office, Monica Lewinsky exclaims that she can't believe she's having an affair with the president. W.J. finds out about this and confronts Billy, starting an argument between the two. Hillary finds out about their fight and explains to them that the public likes it better when politicians work together. 
After settling his differences with Billy, W.J. confronts Newt Ingrich and convinces him to pass Hillary's health care bill. W.J. and Billy are re-elected in the presidential election of 1996, but Billy is the only one that takes the oath of office, which means Billy is able to start ignoring W.J. as payback for the beginning of their first term. As the second term begins, as well as Act 2, Billy celebrates in the Oval Office while Linda Tripp secretly collects evidence of his affair with Monica. Linda's evidence becomes public, but Billy attempts to convince the American people that the affair never happened. Since he is officially the president, Billy must give the State of the Union address and a a job that W.J. had previously done. Billy can't resist making sexual innuendos while writing his speech. So Hillary is forced to write the address and let Billy take all the credit. Having been abandoned by Billy and the American people, W.J. reflects on all the things he was hoping to accomplish in his second term. Monica, whom Billy has also abandoned, looks back on how confident he made her feel during their affair. Hillary becomes increasingly angry with both W.J. and Billy for the things that they do behind her back. Though she still loves them, she decides she can't handle the stress anymore and tells the audience that she plans to divorce them. Meanwhile, Kenneth and Newt lead the movement to impeach and remove Billy from office. Hillary is visited by a version of Eleanor Roosevelt, who tries to convince her to stay with Billy and W.J., but Hillary misinterprets Eleanor and instead decides that she's going to run for president. Billy and W.J. realize that their legacy will not be the work they did to advance universal health care, but instead they will always be remembered for Billy's affair. W.J. and Billy forgive each other and apologize to Hillary. The three decide that the only way to ensure that Billy remains in office is to reveal to the world that William Jefferson Clinton is in fact two people. Newt is hesitant to forgive the Clintons, but is forced to when W.J. reveals Newt's affair with Callista Bisek. The Senate votes to keep Billy in office, and Hillary announces her 2008 candidacy for president. The The end. about the things that we liked or maybe the things that needed a little bit of work i'm gonna slip that song when i can starting with look this was absolutely a fantastic show in fact the the best way i can put it is if snl put on a full musical like a fully produced musical this would be it the top to bottom between the writing and the music and just everything it truly just felt like an snl musical you know it was clever, it was timely, it was very smart. And despite being satirical and hilarious, the show was wildly creative and complete. Like, it, I know this seems really weird to say, but it felt like a real legit show, not just a gag, you know? Right. Where sometimes with these satirical shows, 
the you know it's a show you see once and you got all the jokes and everything. This is a show you can go back over and over and over for different reasons, whether it be the incredible actors who put on these amazing performances, especially in the ensemble where they were wearing multiple hats, or you're going for the incredible music, or you were going for these great jokes that existed in the in the script and everything. There were so many different things that kept you wanting to come back for more and more and more that this went beyond a one-note piece. Right. Well, and something that I really appreciated about the show was there was enough... So I obviously was a little too young to remember this event, but it's kind of one of those things that I grew up just inherently knowing because it happened during my lifetime and there were always jokes about it. So when we got to the show as an adult, I didn't know as much about it as I thought I did. So the show did a really good job of explaining just enough to kind of get the gist without going too deep into... What exactly the, everything was. Mudding correct. the waters, if you will. Correct. Or so this, drawing the opinion from this, that, or the other. Exactly. So it was more like how it was living in my memory rather than how it existed in real life. Well, it's, it, see, I'm, I'm obviously older than you. And see, I... Not that much older than me. I remember these events happening, but my reaction to them was literally how the show presented it. Like, one of my favorite lines in the show said by the glorious Judy Gold, and I'll edit myself for right now, is, like, what it, what he, what the is even is Whitewater? You know? And I feel like if you asked anyone on the street today, do you remember Whitewater and what it was about? Nobody has any idea what Whitewater was. And yet that was the scandal that played Clinton in his first term. And I remember growing up, and I remember hearing Whitewater, but... I mean, I have no idea what white water is. And so the fact that that's how they kind of presented it, there were these, they presented the actual thing that was behind the scandal, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was this issue about fundraising or something or another, but they totally showcased more of the focus on the media sensationalism around it. The fact that no one had any idea what this was. It really actually wasn't a big deal, but because of how much it was sensationalized, now it's become a footnote in American history. And so future generations, for example, yourself, you know of white water, but you have no idea what white water is. Well, neither do most of America, and it was something that really wasn't that important in the grand scheme of things. Then we get to a second term, where we have, of course, the famous Lewinsky scandal. And as we're watching that, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you look back and there's so much focus on the affair that most people are like, who cares? But you... Does anybody remember why he was impeached? He wasn't impeached because he had an affair. He was impeached for lying to Congress. Ah. Yeah. He never got... Imp- and, and, and they point that out. It's the famous, it depends on what your definition of is, is. Mm-hmm. You know, Bill Clinton is a lawyer, and he totally looked, like was smart about that. But, yeah, he couldn't be tried. There's no crime in having an affair. That's not against the law. Right. And so it was just so funny the way they basically took what the public was thinking and put it there while presenting fact at the same time. They did not cover up anything that was happening. Yes, we had Bill Clinton represented by two people. Okay, that did not... Re- that, Bill Clinton is not two people. Would I? Could we say that he has two? those two personalities? Oh, absolutely. I can definitely see the WJ and the Billy that exist. But what I loved is they presented this hilarious show... With how the common person kind of reacted to the or interpreted the presidency, 
while still keeping the facts true to what actually happened. So the other thing that I really want to say about this show, and it's going to be completely negatory to what we talked about in the beginning part of the show, which was that this musical is based on the two different sides of Bill Clinton. I'm going to argue and say that this show is actually based on the question, why did Hillary stick with Bill? I think that's the main, that's the starting point for how this musical came apart, like came together. And I'm going to draw the conclusion is because Hillary is the star of this show. She is the main character of this show. She's the narrator. She is the one who goes on the biggest emotional journey. And everything that happens to everyone else is just how it influenced her life. So Clinton the Musical is actually about Hillary Clinton during Bill Clinton's presidency. I would agree. I mean, look, the the story, it is about Bill Clinton and his presidency. We can't get around that. But I think Hillary almost acts as a narrator, if you will. She is the person that, that connects everything, and she is the through line. The other thing that I think makes Hillary more front and center in this show is if you look at what when this was done, mm-hmm. and honestly what's happened since Bill Clinton's presidency, who has been the more focused, more famous I guess more relevant of the two, Hillary, obviously. And of course, she famously did run in 2008, but Barack Obama ended up getting the nomination and then serving two terms. But then she was the first woman candidate for a major party in 2016. This show came out in 2015. So everything at that time, what I'm saying is like the show was conceived when Hillary was starting to run her campaign for president again. She was getting ready to win the nomination for president in 2015 when this played in New York. Hillary was the one that everybody was focusing on. And so I can see how Hillary was the main focus when we saw the show in 2015 when it was in New York. I totally get that. But if you were to take Hillary out of the show, you still kind of have a show about Bill Clinton's presidency and how everything happened. That being said... It's fascinating to see how much Hillary did behind the scenes. And you have to wonder how much of Bill Clinton's presidency was him and how much was her. You know what I mean? Yeah. She she had always championed universal health care from day one before she met Bill. She's always been a champion of that. Yet he gets that passed. You got to wonder who really wrote that. And that's why I think they put that in the show to be like, "Mm, this has got Hillary's voice and fingerprints on it. Well, I also think that the show does a good job of displaying that oftentimes the woman behind the man is doing the majority of the work and the man still gets credit. Which is why I think Eleanor Roosevelt's the character from the past that comes to visit her because Eleanor Roosevelt, of course, famously, basically was the last... Before, I'll say Hillary, strong first lady who almost was an equal to the president. FDR saw Eleanor as an equal almost. And they, the way they respected each other in relationship and the things that Eleanor did was not as a traditional first lady, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes complete sense. But I think that I could definitely go straight into a debate with you about the way that you just said almost equal. 
But that's a different podcast for a different time. Right. But I mean, you know, then after Hillary, of course, we, I mean, the next first lady, I think that would be equal to the president and what she did and what she accomplished would be first lady Michelle Obama. Right. But I also think that there's an important part of the conversation when it comes to the marriage of the White House mm-hmm. as to what is, who is the man and who is the relationship. And you have, yes. I would definitely say with the Obamas, even though Michelle has a very strong voice and a strong agenda that she fights for, she did not cross into what is the office office of the presidency. Correct. She may have influenced her husband, but never the president. Correct. Whereas in this show, the way it is displayed is that the woman is the the marriage and the woman behind the marriage it. and the office are one. Correct. Yes. The, yeah. I, I completely agree. That is very well said. Very well put. So with all of that exposition now laid out, I feel like we're having the most intelligent, like, NPR discussion of our life right now. With all of that, let's go into our little boxes. And I want to start with the set. Now, I, I do want to just quickly remind that this is an off-Broadway production. And that is not me at all wanting to demean or or prepare you for you know oh it's going to be a less quality or whatever absolutely not some of the best shows i've seen have been off and off off broadway i want to give that all the respect in the world but i do want to just remind because of course with off broadway we're going to probably have a smaller space definitely a smaller budget all those kind of things come into play so with that i want to start by saying regarding the set it was brilliant very detailed one of the most detailed sets up until that point that I'd seen, especially off-Broadway. I love the Oval Office set. You know, the detail with the the Resolute desk, the way they... I mean, it, it wasn't just a projection of the walls with the curtains and the windows. It would, They went all out for it. Right, and they did a beautiful job of making it feel not only presidential, but also, like, sitcom-y. Again, it's like SNL. Yeah. Yeah. And then what I lo- another part that I loved was Kenneth, where Kevin's... Kenneth Starr. Kenneth Starr, thank you. His lair. It was, you know, Newt Gingrich opens a door and it's the, me- the mechanical room. And there's Kenneth Starr, like, hunkered down. And he's doing, like, the conspiracy theory thing. You can see the map, like, a electoral map. And he's got all these, like, sticky notes about, like, Newt Gingrich, like, vote for Newt and things like that. You know, all these catchphrases. It's just like a some person who's, like, trapped in the basement kind of thing and going down the rabbit hole. And I just love that because... That is a very caricature version of Kenneth Starr and what he did mm-hmm. to this administration. I don't believe that's what he is like at all in real life. No. You know, I think he's a fine attorney probably in real life. But what his action showed and whatnot, it was like, homeboy is really probably going down. <laughs> he's drinking the Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? Right. So I love that that's how they chose to depict it. He's just like in some mechanical room trying to find the next conspiracy about whatever, you know. So I love that. I also loved, and see, one thing that, uh, we'll get to the show later, but with Titanic, when they brought Patty Lapone out as a cardboard cutout, I was immediately reminded of this show because they had Al Gore the whole time as a cardboard cutout. Mm-hmm. And look, Al Gore is a brilliant man. He's done some wonderful things. But I remember as a kid him having basically the personality of a cardboard cutout. Right. So I just love that that's how they brought him in. Like, why didn't you cast one of the cast members as Al Gore? And it's like, because he doesn't really have a personality. We'll just get a cardboard cutout and that'll be enough. And I just was like, what? 
great. It was hilarious. It was all these little details that even spoke to the satirical nature of the show. But at the same time, it was Broadway quality sets. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So with that, I think we should move on to the costumes. Definitely. I think the costumes did a beautiful job of displaying iconic outfits that were established during the time, yet still giving us a fun, comedic palette. You know, because everything, like with politics, especially business suits, it is easy to look boring and dull. This, they did a beautiful job of giving bright color so that it did almost feel like a cartoon. Well, one thing I loved is with the ensemble playing multiple roles, they costumed really, really well. Not only just like separating the roles, but they were just like so detailed in creating those different personalities. I'm thinking of like from the different reporters mm-hmm. to, I mean, all right, take for example, you mentioned business like politician suits, Gingrich. Okay, Gingrich had a basic suit, but then he had like these weird ties that I can remember him wearing on those TV interviews that you're like, Glad your grandkids got you a tie. But then they nailed the hair where it was never quite perfect. It always this weird part comb and it was always just a little. It was those fine details in these looks. It was just these weird misshapen things that it was like, okay, that was them. And there's two folds to that. One, it captured those iconic things of these people. But two, it showed that not everyone, you know, it's perfect. Everyone has their imperfections, and you're drawing attention to it. Well, and I also think one of the beautiful things is you could tell, it's kind of what we talked about during this time, about how with Donald Trump, when he wears a suit and tie, everything looks a little big to try to hide his imperfections. He has a big distracting tie so that you're not noticing that it doesn't quite look right on him, whereas the politicians who you're supposed to identify with are nice and tailor cut suits and look very flattering to the body. There's, There's nothing a shape to hide. To it. Exactly. And so that's exactly what this show did. You had you had, you know, WJ who had a very nice fitting suit on. Right. Whereas Billy, everything was a little looser. Starting to come apart. And then also with New Ingrich, he was Looked just like Donald Trump with that giant ass well, tie. He was always like sweaty and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also Getting into it, you know, so we're living in this this real world, but then we take it just a little further and go into that fantasy world. Kenneth Starr and the S&M, where he's got the star pasties and everything. Oh my gosh, that was just... And listen, listeners, young and not young, if you don't know who Kenneth Starr is, do a Google search. Look up what he looks like, right? And then look up who the actor is that plays him. What's great is they don't necessarily look the same with the exception of the glasses, really, which is wonderful. They almost look, I remember them looking like, and my memory could be deceiving me, but I remember them looking like Alan Cumming in glasses, kind of like Kenneth Starr. And then they rip off this, you know, outfit to reveal that S&M bondage look. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, we're doing that. You know, yeah. I think that the easiest way for me to say it is if I think back through my memories, it look Kenneth Starr looks like Stephen Colbert in SNM. Yes, 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 yes. Exactly, exactly. 
100%, which is not what Kenneth Starr looks like. And so I just appreciated that they went way that direction, you know. I also want to add that they had the iconic 90s looks about everyone, particularly the hair. Again, I'm going back to Judy Gold, the legendary Judy Gold. She played Linda Tripp. My favorite line in the show, truly to this day, is when they're ending act one and Monica goes, how did they find out? And you just see in the back, uh, no, no, she pops on from the side. They have little... Like the set had those little pop-up windows, like mm-hmm. whatever and she's that like TV on the phone show and was. She just goes, "Merry Trip, Miss." <laughs> yeah, she plays Linda Trip, and she has that big hair and the glasses to match it. That you just those big, huge, iconic '90s glasses that you remember. Again, if you don't know who Linda Trip is, I guarantee if you if you grew up with the scandal, if you know anything about it, and you looked up a picture, the woman had. Such a minor role in the scandal. She was the one that, you know, leaked that they were having the affair, right? Mm-hmm. And recorded the conversation. But in visual terms, we have just so little about her that that it made it that iconic. And I just died about it. So I was like, there it is. We saw the dress, the iconic dress with the stain, that blue dress with the stain, you know, the dark blue. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, this is... This this costumer has done their work in spades. It is incredible the level of detail. And we would be remiss if we did not mention, of course, the Hillary looks. What you see the evolution of Hillary in her looks, where she goes from these beautiful suits with skirts, that right? Right. Well, because she's into supposed to look pantsuits. Yeah, she's supposed to look more like a housewife rather than the badass woman that she is. And by the end of the show, she's wearing the power suit. Exactly. And you just see the the evolution of Hillary, which truly, in real life, but I just, I I absolutely adored that. And I was like, this is great. Because it added that modern, I don't want to say modern twist to it, but how can you ignore what's happened since or what's happening now? If that mm-hmm. makes sense. You, 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 you. Though we're telling about a specific point in history, we it's still satire and you can't ignore since you're especially entertaining what's happening now mm-hmm. when we saw it. You know, she was running for president. How can we ignore that when we're also kind of talking about it in this show? So I appreciated that. As we go into lights, I thought the lighting was great. I don't know how they achieved this. So anybody out there who does lighting or knows a lot about lighting, please help us out. But the shading and shadowing really did a great job of creating the feeling or the appearance of the 90s. Just like that quality. You know when you go back and you watch old TV shows or whatever from the 90s? And by the way, it's scary how you look at that and you're like, wow, that looks like it's probably from the 80s or 70s. And it's like, oh, it's from the late 90s. What? Right. Well, and I think that being in a theater lends itself to helping to create the 90s look because if you think about the 90s television, almost always they were done on sound stages. Right, right. So it's all very faux lighting. So I don't know how they they got the right blend of shadows and shades of light just to create that feeling, that nostalgic feeling that that is 90s. Yes. Not just nostalgia, but like... If you hadn't told anyone when this took place and just said, so when do you think it took place? They pro- they would immediately go, oh, it's totally the 90s. It's, just, it's the 90s, right? And they would scream that. And then you add to that, I mean, I thought the lighting was a great, like the, the, the big 
musical numbers. That was like a great mix between a play, a rock concert, think like the Doobie Brothers or Fleetwood Mac or like a smooth 90s rock concert and a political convention with a dash of a TV special. Right. And I definitely think for me, a lot of the TV special came through. It had, like we keep talking about, the lighting helped make that SNL feel. Yes. Yes. Again, when she popped out Merry Tripmas... Or when they're down in the lair, you know, trying to spy on the Clintons. All of that. I mean, it just, it was so smart. These different design elements were all working in perfect concert to create the perfect mood, feeling, the message. They were even adding to the joke, which is so wonderful when everybody's not only in on the joke, but adding to it. Well, and you, at at this point, I think it's good to move on to direction because the director is the one who helps make all of those elements come together and give it a cohesive vision. Absolutely. They were a true genius. Not only was it comedy gold, but it was also a satirical masterpiece, top to bottom. Had a great ability to comment and retell and contribute to two different times in history, in my opinion. Not only were we talking about Bill Clinton's presidency, but also Hillary's two presidential runs, Mm -hmm. you know? And also, in my opinion, no matter what your political affiliation or belief is, this show appeased it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it took it right up to the line of being overly offensive, but it didn't cross it, you know? Again, back to what we were saying, it told the story, in my opinion, of this in the kind of in the way that we remember it mm-hmm. or we interpreted it, but still keeping the facts in there. They didn't tweak the facts. They didn't try to hide how things really were and how things really went. That really is, is it, it's basically the best. The, one of the best things I loved is they explained it very matter of factly. Why did the government shut down? Well, because the Republicans did this and they were steadfast not wanting to do it. And the American people didn't like it. And that's why Clinton ended up winning the second term. And blah, blah, blah. like that's literally basically how it happened. Rather than going down and having an hour and a half discussion on CNN, right, the easiest- and having talking heads go back and forth about it, someone literally just jumped up and said, Here's a five-second explanation of what happened, why it happened, and how it ended. Right, and I think that's why the show does a beautiful job of creating satire is because it spends a small portion on the facts and spends a large portion about what it's what kind of attitude it's trying to display or create. More on the reaction from Correct. the general person. Or what people are perceiving. We are literally watching a political cartoon in, in real life, you know. I, I, it was so great. Ultimately, it told a full and complete story that was fully realized, and it was a fully realized musical and piece. A lot of times off-Broadway with satires and stuff like that, again, you see them once, you don't need to see them again. Like, you you got it, right? This was definitely a, a Broadway show, at least in my opinion. You know, it's a show you could see over and over again. And one of the big reasons I feel this way is our final box to check, which is the music, which was... Whole earworms. Oh my gosh. It was so hilarious. I cannot recommend this album enough. Uh, honestly, the number of times that Monica's song pops into my head is way more than it has any right 
And we're trying to keep this episode not labeled as explicit. So we will not sing Monica's song on this episode. But But just know that when you... I mean, obviously, this show deals with sexual sexual harassment, sexual innuendo. So obviously, you know, don't listen... Strong language. Yeah, don't listen to the album unless you are in a place where you can listen to that. Yeah, I, I, I would not advise putting Monica's song on while you've got kids in the car. But with that being said, it the music is addicting. It's so, so good, so clever. Uh, a good story, a great score, great soundtrack. I love Carrie Butler in this album. I love Carrie Butler. I love Carrie Butler, period, the end. Yeah. I, I, I want to just say, besides it being such a great score, such great songs, the social commentary, in my opinion, still holds up. Yeah, I mean, look, the I, I know this is a terrible job of explaining it, but I mean, in the opening song, when they're explaining the Democrats and the Republicans and how they're so different, what they believe, it still holds up. You know, explaining how the media just likes to sensationalize things, that still holds up. The way Congress views, you know, dealing with the president and voting, that still holds up. You know, all that stuff still holds up. It's brilliant. And... The music, while having that musical theater sound, is totally 90s hits. Totally. I mean, from the very beginning, we're living here in the 90s, 90s, you know? It totally has that 90s vibe to it. And I absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, I think the music is definitely worth a listen to i think it's just a good time it's fun it's satirical and i think it'd be interesting to see where the album holds up now that we've gone through some really rough things politically the show has had several notable performers including judy gold john tracy egan and carrie butler now talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. I think the number one thing we can say about the theatrical impact is the songbook that it has added to the musical theater archives. I think that Monica's song is a perfect song for anyone auditioning for like something like Avenue Q or anything that has adult content and has an excited woman. The Me I See is another great song. Yeah. Me, I see. <laughs> or a woman is like a tea bag. Mm-hmm. Yep. Go both ways. Uh, the innuendo in this show is just out of this world. I completely agree with you. I also would add that this show added iconic figures from American history to the theater. And anyone can correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I know, this is the first time that a piece of theater was written and produced, particularly off Broadway or on Broadway about the Clintons. Okay. The next piece to be done, if I remember right, would be Hillary and Clinton, which was by Lucas Nath, I believe. Okay. I'm starring Laurie Metcalf and John Lithgow. Anyway, so we just got one of America's most famous families now on the Tomes. You know, put that up there with the Kennedys and the Roosevelt's and that. Another, I think, theatrical impact is it's another brilliant political satire. I mean, top to bottom, absolutely. That's something I think that we don't see enough of. 
we see political shows, right? Mm-hmm. But political satires and like really good political satires, we don't see often. Right. Well, because I also think that there's a large portion of people who are afraid to do political satire anymore because they don't understand the importance it has for the community to see because they're so worried about people either liking it or not liking it and that it's going to polarize the people. And it's like, actually, satire is the thing that brings us together. That and also like with how fast things change, people are afraid that they won't capture the zeitgeist. Right. Or that they'll be become too, they'll become irrelevant before they've even had a chance to become relevant. But that's the, that is politics right there, you know, and I just feel like this show did a great job in, in joining the, the ranks of things like Of the I Sing, for instance, you know, or Fiorello. And finally, for me at least, I think another theatrical impact is that it enshrined one of the greatest political stories in the history of Books for All. And I know that sounds weird, but they're going forward, I think, you know, really 2000s on with the Gen whatevers, the youngins. This is a way for them to learn about one of the most famous moments in American political history. Right. I mean, I also think that that goes into a different discussion that probably leads us into societal impact is, is it a great political story that deserves to be, you know, I mean, it presented, added to history books? It presented one of the most famous presidencies and most well-known scandals in a new way and a new voice. And it did so by using more crudeness and crassness and, of course, the musical style and all that. But it also told a political story in a new musical way in that, you know, we had a female leading character and we were not necessarily attacking the sitting president. But it, it was very interesting in that this show was criticizing or satirizing a president but using a character who was also running for president, you know, in those two different time periods. It was really interesting, you know. So you got to witness the past while seeing, like, future or present commentary. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was clever. And also, I mean, like I said, it introduced a younger generation to a part of American history. If you were born in 2000, when this show came to New York in 2015, you are 15 years old, almost guarantee you, you don't completely understand the presidency of Bill Clinton. You've heard bits and pieces, and they're probably just the, the sound bites, you know? This is not a complete and thorough history. I would not use this show to teach American history, right? Right. But this is a great way to, to get a good idea of what kind of happened during that time. So I suppose we should ask the question of if this show is relevant. And what are your thoughts on that? I don't think that this show is relevant purely because I think that so much has happened politically since it came out that it's not something that is important for us to reflect on because it is such it has more to do with the moral integrity of a person than it does societally and i think that when it comes to politics the things that are happening about society are kind of the more important parts and i don't think that this is necessarily something that needs to be displayed on a Broadway stage. Now, is this a good show to be done in college towns and for places that are, you know, having politics? Sure, yeah, we could do something like this, 
you know, at the OBT in Utah or something that is already there for adult spaces. But I definitely don't think that this show has a lot to teach the younger generation as far as like politics go. Well, that's an interesting point. I can see that. For me, see, I think this is a brilliant show and one that audiences truly enjoy. And it plays brilliant in community, regional, and even collegiate theaters. As for Broadway or off-Broadway, I welcome this show, especially on Broadway. I want to see the show on Broadway. I really do. I think the show could be updated to reflect developments in our political system and even to Hillary's story. But with all that being said, I think off-Broadway is a great place anytime for this show. You know? As for Broadway, I think whenever producers are ready to pick this show up, it's good to go. I do get a sense that audiences would be more inclined to see this in a non-presidential election year, though. I just... The way our presidential election years have been the last few times, I don't think audiences want to see full-blown politics on stage in the same time. We're just constantly bombarded with all of that from the word go on January 1st. We don't want to pay money and go see it on our stages too. Even if it is a satire, you know, we do want an escape. So I would say this is good to go in a non-presidential election year. So those are my thoughts. Finally, as promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show. So we had the great fortune of seeing the show the one time in 2015 at New World Stages. And again, I love the show. This is where I fell absolutely in love with Judy Gold and all her hilarious skills. I mean, I I did not realize that it was Judy Gold. Like in my mind, I, I could not tell you the actress's name. But if you were to ask me before we recorded this episode and put all of our research and that together, you know, tell me about the show, I would tell you that there's this incredible actress with curly hair and these wonderful glasses that played a reporter and she played Linda Tripp and and all of the, you know, she was just hilarious and I adored her and she reminded me of just a perfect character off of SNL. I'm pretty sure she even was on SNL. She's just a really great comedian. She is. I was so honored I got to see her show at 5959 last year. She was brilliant. And I just loved her. Right. And I think for me, my absolute favorite part about this show was the music. Was the music and lyrics. I thought it was so hilarious. I thought it was so good. And that was really the standout part for me. Yeah. I remember leaving the theater and wanting more. And wanting the cast album like right away. When it was announced that the cast album was coming out, I remember we were still in Salt Lake. And it came across, I think it was on Facebook. And they showed the video of them recording Monica's song. And I, like, freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a thing. Ah!" You know, I I was so excited because I had had that music in my head for so long. Right. Well, and I used to drive around our neighborhood blasting Monica's song in my truck. In Salt Lake. Singing away. Yeah. You rebel. You getting all those good Christian neighbors all angry about the words in that song. You rebel rouser. Well, I just love the whole experience top to bottom. 
and not being able to stop talking about it. We went back to Salt Lake, and this was one of those shows that year that we couldn't stop talking about. It was amazing. We still have the poster. We bought the poster for the show. It's amazing. I look. It is. Y'all look up the poster art for the show because <laughs> it's totally '90s. You know, Bill Clinton with the open shirt and oh, it's great. Someday you'll be able to catch Clinton the musical at a theater near you. We also want to remind you that you can now become a producer and patron of the show by getting your backstage pass or by leaving a monthly tip in our tip jar. Information about our backstage pass can be found at patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray.